Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where it's still video game season. I'm Void, and I'm not here with anybody today. Uh, Bij had life happen again, which happens sometimes. We're not going to hold it against him. Um, so today, I'm going to do another mini episode, but I wanted to talk about, because it's video game release season, and I've been playing so much, um, I dove deep into Red Dead Redemption 2. So I wanted to give some impressions of that and talk about kind of where I landed on a couple other games. And then if we're lucky, I hope, I think that uh, BJ might be able to squeeze in a recording of his own geekery this week. So we'll drop that in here if he's able to get to it, hopefully. And I think next week we'll be back to normal. So with that in mind, let's get into it. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2 it's interesting. Like I'm probably 20 ish hours in, but I feel like I can only give impressions because it's such a huge game. Just kind of like when I was talking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey the other week, like it's a big game. Um, this one's probably bigger than Assassin's Creed Odyssey, honestly, in different ways maybe, but it, it just feels huge in scope. But I mean, before I get too far into it, I should probably talk about like where I'm coming from with Rockstar Games, just so you guys know. So like I played GTA 3 and like loved it, but at the time I was a teenager, so it was a while ago. Um, Vice City is probably the game that I put the most time into from Rockstar ever. And then GTA 4 is kind of where I started to fall off with the series and I bounced hard off of like GTA 5. So I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of mixed on the GTA games. Um, I liked Bully at the time when it came out, but I don't feel like it has aged well necessarily. I don't know if I'd ever go back to it. I did like the original Red Dead Redemption, and I'm not sure why, but it kind of clicked with me. It was probably my favorite Rockstar game up to this point. Um, So in terms of Red Dead Redemption 2, I'm at chapter 3, and story percentage-wise, because this game gives you like a different percentage for your story completion versus your overall completion, it says I'm right around 25%. So I've seen a quarter of the game, but I still feel like in a lot of ways I barely scratched the surface of it because it's such a big, but not only big, but like dense game with what it's offering. So... I'm ready to talk about impressions, but I'm not ready to say like definitive anything. So keep that in mind. Um, The setting of Red Dead Redemption 2 is the closing of the West, which is like it's like 1899 is when it starts and it takes place in. Well, I thought it was going to be like the American Southwest, but really it ends up being a story about kind of coming from the West, but then being forced East because the law is after you and you have to keep running from them um, as a group. So like you are hooked up with a bunch of gang members in this and you are like an outlaw gang that all works together. And throughout the course of the story, like you kind of keep having to go East. So it was interesting because I thought it was going to be like that traditional, like American Southwest type of Western story, but it kind of almost starts that way, but not quite. And then it pushes you further and further East. So, I mean, there's a whole thing that happens in the mountains um, with snow and stuff like that. That's pretty early. That's the kind of where the game starts. And then you get some feeling of like, not quite West, but it, it feels almost like, I mean, none of them are actual States, but maybe like Montana-ish, you know, kind of like wide open, but not really west, like not desert, Um, something a little bit more grassy than that. And then you keep moving and you kind of end up in like the bayou and the swamps and it starts to feel like Louisiana. So it's kind of a mixture of different parts of different states. So it gives a feel, but it doesn't actually like correlate one-to-one, which is interesting. So Westerns in general don't typically resonate with me but for some reason red dead redemption the first one really did and maybe it's just that like i get control over it whereas western movies it's very passive um so i knew i was going to pick this one up because like i said red dead redemption the first one is probably one of my top rockstar games um going into this and i think at this point this one might end up being my favorite rockstar game that is definitely a curve that i'm grading on because like 
Rockstar is not my favorite. I know some people absolutely love the games. I know they sell like crazy and they sell forever. And like GTA is always right up there in the rankings for what sells any given week. But for me, it's just... I don't know. In a lot of ways, I feel like I've outgrown Grand Theft Auto. And in a lot of ways, like the Rockstar formula, there's just things about it that bug me. But even saying that, like, I'm really enjoying my time with this game and I'm going to keep playing it. Like, I I didn't bounce off this game. I like it a lot. Um, There's a lot of things that I have like nits to pick. But overall, I think this is my favorite Rockstar game. So keep that in mind, too. So in general for this game, the pacing is actually pretty slow, which was surprising. Um, The movement and the interaction speed is like almost agonizingly paced at some points. Like, But the flip side of it is that the default pace is usually a walk, which is actually realistic. And the game is trying to be like extremely realistic sometimes it feels like heavy and cumbersome to do things but it's deliberate because it ties into the rest of the game and the feel of the rest of the game um you know there's a lot of like riding horses from point a to point b but it takes time and some of that time is filled with like interesting conversations which make it engaging sometimes it's just not sometimes you're just going from point a to point b and there's nothing really happening except you're like moving across the scenery and in most games that would bug me but for some reason like It's so cohesive in the way that they chose to do that type of thing in this game that it feels like it fits. And it's super rare for me to have a slow-paced game that I don't absolutely just hate or bounce off of, which is why I wanted to flag it, because it's so interesting. Um, Fast travel is supposedly in the game, but I'm 25% of the way in, and I haven't unlocked it yet. Um, I ended up looking up how to do it, and you have to buy a couple different camp upgrades so i'll probably do that and report back on it but there's no like what you would normally think of in an open world game where there's fast travel and it's just super accessible and you can jump around the map wherever it doesn't exist in the same form of this game it really wants you to spend time on the ground going between points and traveling and like taking your time like the game forces you to do that basically and i guess i should also say that as much as I said that like Assassin's Creed Odyssey doesn't respect your time because there's so much to do, this game does not respect your time either. Like it it's slow and like I said, it's almost agonizing at points how detailed everything is. Like the animation to do anything, it feels like there's an individual animation for anything you could possibly think of, which is cool and it's hyper realistic, but it's also slow. And that's the trade-off that you get with it. The world is just incredibly realized, like along with those unique animations for everything. I like I've never seen it to that extent in a game like this before. I can't even imagine how many people and how many hours this game took to create. It's kind of going to put most other open world games to shame in a lot of way like that. You might not like this one. That's fine. Like, I can easily see just like, oh, this isn't my type of game. I'm going to bounce off of it. I honestly think that's how BJ would feel if he tried to play it. But even with that, like, it's still going to put other games to shame in so many of these little, like, detail and emergent system ways. I mean, every item you pick up, every item you put away or change, it has, like, a unique pocket or a unique animation to pull it out or put it away. It's this super little detail and it just carries throughout the game. Like that kind of detail is almost everywhere in the game. Um, when you hunt animals, you can like skin an animal and it actually does a complete skinning animation. I mean, it's faster than it would be in real life because that takes time, but there's like a unique skinning animation for every single animal in the game. And it's just ridiculous how detailed it gets. The game kind of borders on simulation in some ways. But again, it ties back into the fact that this game is actually grounded, where 
a lot of other Rockstar games are just like over the top satire, and that's kind of what they're going for. Or they're trying to be zany or humorous or edgy, and this one plays it straight. And maybe that's why this works so well for me, where other modern Rockstar games I just like don't click with anymore. Um, the fact that this feels so grounded and like, I mean, it still has video game elements, obviously, but it's not super gamey, I guess is the way that I would put it. Um, it's trying to do things that are realistic. And like one of those things is the gang that you're with. Like you travel with them throughout the game. You keep going back to camp and you visit with them. You get to know them. But I think the whole gang mechanic just works. Like there's a camp, there's characters, there's this consistent group, and you kind of like build this rapport with them and get to know them and I don't know, develop empathy with them, even though they're not generally good people. I mean, you're a gang of outlaws. It's still fascinating because they make it work so well. Um, the writing also seems to be way better than other Rockstar games that I've played. Again, I think it's because they try to play it straight and they don't go for that edgy satire, but I'm enjoying the writing and the script and just like the dialogue and the story so much better than I ever have in any other Rockstar game ever, like easily. I do have to say it is still a Rockstar game though. The shooting isn't great. It kind of has that like magnetic, like if you hit the button, like if you pull the trigger to aim the gun, it'll kind of like magnetize towards whatever guy you're aiming closest to. And then you can kind of adjust a little bit on the body where you're aiming, but it has that like magnetic sticky aiming. Um, there's a lot of weird wonky bugs that I'll run into. It's not a super buggy game. It's not like a Bethesda game, but there's enough bugs and enough like strangeness or it, and it's not even necessarily bugs so much as the way that like maybe just like a weird physics thing will happen or your horse will clip a tree by accident and your horse will just fall over and you'll fall off it and you're instantly dead and like a second ago you were just riding between point a and point b it's stuff like that that happens um the mission structure is similar to how it always is in rockstar games where you just have those like abbreviated name or like initial marks on the map um it also has that Rockstar problem of it's super easy to fail missions if you don't do exactly what's expected of you. When you're not on a mission, you're kind of like free reign. You can do whatever. But when you're on a mission, if you don't stay on rails the way that it intends you to, you'll just randomly be like, oh, I failed. Why did I fail? What happened? So, I mean, that always happens with Rockstar games. So I had to point it out here. Um it also, like, the, the checkpoints in the game aren't great when you're in the open world. If you're in a mission, I've never really had trouble. Like, the, the checkpoints in missions are pretty solid. But if you're just, like, wandering the world, which really this game encourages, it's easy to lose progress. I feel like there have been multiple times where I was just kind of, like, exploring, hunting, investigating, like, kind of wandering around for, like, 45 minutes. And then I'll just, like, my horse will hit a tree by accident that I had no control over and then I'll instantly die and then I lost 45 minutes of progress. And it's not always a tree and a horse, but that has happened to me a few different times. Um, sometimes it's just like the emergent systems of the game show up and you just like something happens and you end up getting killed and then you lose all your progress and it kind of sucks. But again, Rockstar games, this this happens in those. And then the those emergent systems, sometimes they just clash because it's... <laughs> The emergent systems are good, but the story that it's telling is linear. So like when you're in a mission, it feels so on rails and scripted and the rest of the game feels so open. And some of the most interesting things I've run into are in that open world and just letting the systems interact with each other and seeing what comes of it. So it, it's so strange to have such an open world that's built like an open world and then to have this whole like the main thrust of the missions not be that. Again, a rockstar problem that happens a lot, but I want to point it out. The controls in this game also kind of suck sometimes. They're not horrible or anything. It's just that because the game is trying to do so much with 
the a controller. I mean, you know how many buttons are on a controller. There are a lot of different contexts where buttons do different things. So a lot of what I find myself doing is kind of playing the game of can I remember which button does what in this context? And some of them are fairly consistent and it's easy. But a lot of the time it's like, I can't remember it. And it's not that I can't remember Like if I stop and I think I know what all the buttons do, but it's in the moment. It's like, am I supposed to hit L1 first or do I hit L2 first if I want to target someone and interact with them? But wait, did I mean to pull out my gun to point it at them to interact with them? Or was I just trying to target them to interact with them in a different way? And then accidentally you pull open your gun and you're pointing it at someone and they think that you're robbing them. And it's like, oh, wait, that's not what I, oh, what? And then they run off and they're like, I'm going to tell the law. And it's that kind of thing, right? It's not that you don't remember. It's just that like in the moment you hit the wrong button because there's so many different contexts that you end up doing something that you don't mean to do. And honestly, it kind of makes for some funny emerging gameplay moments, but other times it's just kind of annoying. Not to mention that just sometimes because of that, you'll just like accidentally punch your horse or shoot a person and like, oh, that's not what I intended to do. Okay, this game is going in a different direction than I was anticipating. Overall, it has extremely high production values. It's like one of the highest production value games I've ever seen ever. Um, but it's a very slow burn and it, it is still a Rockstar game. So like if you don't like Rockstar games, it is one at its core. So you probably won't like it. One of the things that I want to that like jumped out at me because I've, I've read a lot about this game and I've been listening to other people's takes on it and I usually don't like to do a direct quote but this one stuck out to me so much from Jason Schreier at Kotaku so he said that Red Dead Redemption 2 is fascinating what other blockbuster video game could get away with feeling so tedious and frustrating to play and making that the whole point of the game I'm captivated so far even as I get keep getting bounties for accidentally slamming my horse into pedestrians and it's kind of like yeah that's a good summary of the game um you'll just randomly do stuff you don't intend to do and it's frustrating and it's clunky but it's still good and it's like compelling i keep wanting to play it like all of my free time has been going to this in the last week since it came out and after i'm done recording tonight and editing this is what i'm going to play too like i want to keep playing this game even though it's slow and i don't know when the last time is that i've hit a game that was slow that i wanted to keep playing so i'm interested in seeing more of the world but i also haven't actually finished a rockstar game since like gta san andreas maybe maybe it's been that long so we'll see if i end up finishing this one or not even red dead redemption even though i liked it i never actually finished that game so that'll kind of be the real test i mean come end of the year i'll have an actual like lockdown opinion on it and we'll see where it lands but initially my impression is just like i can't believe that this game is so detailed and has such high production values and that it still has my attention even though it's slow I also wanted to mention, it's kind of interesting that like this fall really feels like the fall of open world games. I mean, there's always open world games coming out these days, but this fall alone, this like busy release season, we had Spider-Man, we've had Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Red Dead Redemption 2 is out now, and then Fallout 76 is out in, well, technically I could be playing the uh, open beta right now. It's not open, but the beta at the moment as I'm recording this, um, but the game comes out in like a couple weeks here. So there's like four huge games that I'm very interested in and they were all open world and they all came out within like two months of each other, basically, which is crazy. Like, I don't feel like we normally get that many at that high production value level um, all in the same short time span. So we'll kind of see what rises to the top here. Uh, at the moment, I'm leaning towards Spider-Man, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, I did play the Spider-Man heist DLC this last week and I really liked it, but 
I want to talk to PJ about it, so I'm going to save that one for next time. Don't forget, you can send us questions. Um, we'll do our Q&A episode around Thanksgiving-ish, so you have a couple more weeks to send them in, but we're getting close. So if you have a question and you keep meaning to send it, now's the time. You can reach out on any of the places we, that we monitor. We'll keep an eye on everything. Um, and I'll, as always, you know, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash geek2geekcast. I actually had to look and read that one because I'm not usually the one who says that. I don't know if we have any real nice thank yous because BJ does that part. Um, and then don't forget the rest of the network, Geektitude, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. Everything that we do, like I love everybody else on the network and I listen every week. I think that BJ may be recording a weekly geekery. If he did, I'm going to drop it in after I stop talking here. If not, then I'm going to just keep talking and we'll all find out after I'm done editing this. So let's give it a break right here. Hey guys, I wanted to apologize for not being on the main part of the episode today. I kind of had a brain fog for the last couple of weeks and honestly didn't realize that Halloween was this week the way that it turned out. And it, I had plans on, quote, the night before Halloween and kind of forgot that uh, the night before Halloween was podcast recording night. So uh, here I am doing my, my geekery so that we could talk about stuff. And uh, I have been really getting into the Spider-Man game again. Uh, even though I said my brain fog was there, I finally got into the idea of, hey, maybe I should play this game that I love so much. And it is really, really fun. I finally got through Act 1 and I'm seeing a lot more of the game open up. Uh, just being able to experiment with the suits and run around is awesome and I think that you know despite me saying you know a long time ago if you've listened to the podcast for a while that that stealth games aren't really my thing my favorite part about this game is really sneaking up on the enemies and trying to web them up without getting caught I'm hoping that at some point it becomes something I can go and replay that kind of stuff and find as opposed to the more combat heavy uh, crimes that you go through the city with um, so far I found my absolute favorite uh, side quest in the game is I found that it is a you're collecting pigeons for a dude on a rooftop and uh, somebody let his pigeons go when they moved his apartment I don't know but uh, you're going around the city collecting pigeons and every time I see one I'm like ooh a pigeon come here pigeon and my wife is just like what and uh, she just laughs at me because I get really excited chasing down this pigeon and uh, so that's that's the part about Spider-Man that I love the most like it's in the comics and all of that like the big epic stuff is great but you know Spider-Man's a kind of kind of superhero I could see going and helping a guy with you know hunt down his pigeons it's like the beginning of the Incredibles when Mr. Incredible is almost late for his wedding to get the uh, cat out of the tree for the old lady uh, it's uh just that kind of thing that makes uh, makes a lot of, of connection for me with these these kind of superheroes. So yeah, um, I'm also I finished up Daredevil season three. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, even my wife said that watching the few episodes that uh, I had on while she was in the room made her want to watch Daredevil, and she got really bored and tired of Daredevil around episode three, maybe. Um, so she really didn't like it. She's watched The Defenders and liked Matt, but it was that season three is entirely, well, I shouldn't say entirely, but they've moved the Netflix uh, series, 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 uh, the Netflix shows into a more character driven kind of uh 
I don't want to say mode, but into kind of a more character-driven mode. And they, they're telling these stories about these people where the superheroes are almost secondary. And this is a story about Matt. This is a story about Foggy and Karen and Matt's relationships. And they really build up even secondary characters in this, where by the end of the season, you really, really will care about some of the characters that they just introduced in the beginning of this one. And that's really, really unique in my in my experience that I care that much about someone that's just introduced in the third season after having seen season one, season two, and the Defenders, where you're kind of established in this universe already, where I want to see more of those characters in uh, in future Netflix shows. And so I'm kind of sad that the uh, Iron Fist show and Luke Cage were canceled. And I don't know what that's going to mean for the rest of the Netflix MCU. Uh, Void and I were talking about that last week. But one of the uh, the things about Daredevil Season 3 is that, uh, well, Daredevil Season 4, technically, as I was looking it up pretty much after I finished this, and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, the, the fellow who plays Kingpin, actually tweeted a single word about it uh someone had had said i don't even know the conversation i didn't even look at the thread that it came from but someone had tweeted they canceled them and he retweeted and just said nope so that kind of gives hope that there is going to be a daredevil season four or at the very least some sort of tie together uh tie in uh crossover kind of show like the defenders or something but we haven't seen the last of daredevil which makes me happy um and we know that they're moving forward with jessica jones season three because it's already it's already being shot and so is punisher season two i believe uh so i'm excited about those uh, but yeah, y'all should watch Daredevil Season 3, and you do probably need to know what's going on in uh, Seasons 1 and 2, that this isn't something like Iron Fist Season 2, where you can go in and just start off knowing part of it, and it all makes sense afterward. Uh, this one is so character-based, and so based in the relationships and history of those of those characters across the sh- different shows, that uh, I highly, highly suggest watching all of it for any of it to really make real sense i mean you can watch it and the main story you would get but the uh the real meat of it isn't necessarily the the serial narrative through the episodes but the interaction between those characters um so it's really nice you get a lot of backstory on uh on them and it so you see where karen comes from and what her past was like because we haven't haven't seen that before and uh like foggy's family life and just that kind of stuff like it's really really good and the kind of tv that i like um same reason I like Battlestar Galactica and all of that kind of stuff too. Like it's a it's a character drama that happens to be set in a fantastic world. Um, speaking of Fantastic Worlds, we actually sat down and watched The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell on Netflix, and I did not like the trailer for this show, but the show itself is fantastic. Fantastic! Uh, it is a Jim Henson produced show. It is a cooking and craft show with a really gothic theme and is super weird and it's kind of a puppet show um like i said it was produced by the jim henson company the puppetry is wonderful um it is honestly laugh out loud funny there is a character named rose which is a resurrected raccoon puppet 
with a fork for a hand and a and a pink bow in her hair who uh, is just absolutely hilarious and just all of it is crazy and you know the show itself is great but Christine McConnell I didn't know who this was before we watched this show when it came on Netflix I'm like oh, okay whatever and it turns out like she is a really well known uh, makeup and hair artist is what she is my wife told me in uh, Los Angeles like that's her day job and she does like these ridiculous kinds of food crafts that you wouldn't even believe are made out of food and they're all for fun they're, uh, she really doesn't uh, do any for professional things other than just whenever she gets a commission uh, like she did if you've seen Miss Peregrine's House of Peculiar I don't even know the name of it um, uh, I don't even have the window pulled up anymore where I looked it up but the Miss Peregrine's movie she apparently did a gingerbread house replica of that house uh, for that movie with Tim Burton so that was one of the professional things like they're ridiculously good and just seeing how much detail can go into this while she's uh, really going through and talking about it and showing you how to do it like the process it's not a you know get a recipe here's how you make a three tier gingerbread or a three story gingerbread haunted house uh, kind of thing that you learn in 22 minutes it's showing you the process and the kinds of things like here are some of the skills that you can you know perfect if you're going to start making these like it's really really good and it's truly entertaining and i think it's six episodes long so it didn't take long to get through but you guys really should watch that if halloween's your thing if weird pseudo awkward campy stuff is your thing like puppet shows um it, it it's just it's just super good and do not let the the trailer put you off of it because I did not want to watch this based on the trailer I thought it looked ridiculous and not in the ridiculous dumb way that I like that y'all know I like someone's like oh that is dumb and I just run at it like that that kind of stuff is awesome this looked like the cringeworthy dumb and I was totally wrong that once we got into the show it took me just a few minutes to realize oh this is a completely different kind of show than I thought it was and it is true Truly brilliant, and I cannot wait for the second season of it. And I would watch this show even outside of the Halloween season. So I'm really hoping that one comes out over Christmas, honestly, because that would be, you know, the the oh, Christmas used to be a time for ghost stories, and uh, it was a there was a much more somber and kind of spooky feeling toward. Uh, toward Christmas in the especially the Victorian era and so that would be something that this show could really draw from that if they uh, had a chance to put anything together uh, between now and then but I know it's like two months so unless it's already been filmed it's not going to happen so I'm crossing my fingers um anyway so that's been really the main stuff that I've been doing this week um I bought some from some of my friends uh, from one of my friends some of the mystery mini kingdom hearts stuff so i'm gonna have a much cooler kingdom hearts uh little figuring collection uh on my desk pretty soon i just haven't put them up yet um and i've also still been reading stuff from marvel unlimited and uh i read finally got through where the amazing spider-man cut off and actually had to buy a comic of uh amazing spider-man 800 to finish up a storyline and it's really good like it gets into stuff that 
that's fantastic by the end of that. I know I was talking about how I wasn't really feeling a lot of the uh, Doc Ock stuff, and when they finally got into the crossover, I don't even remember the name of it right off the top of my head, but it was dealing with Norman Osborn and Flash Thompson and Venom and Anti-Venom and just all this stuff that uh, that had been building up that I didn't have a lot of backstory for uh, in my own head that I hadn't kept up with. Um, it all made sense. They explained a lot of it uh, just as they went through conversation. And in the end, Spider-Man 800 was an 80-page monstrosity of a comic, and it was great. I absolutely loved reading it, and I would highly suggest it to anybody who's interested. Um, as of the, this recording, they're up to Spider-Man Amazing 799, um, and you can get it for like four bucks on Amazon. Don't pay the ten dollars on Marvel to get it. It was four dollars on Amazon uh, to read onto the Kindle. It's the same thing on Comixology. So. It's really good. I'm reading Spider-Gwen again right now. Um, finally passed where I had, had had stopped last time where there were actually, you know, comics that stopped. Um, and so I'm very excited to get through that. Um, I've also picked up the very last volume of Saga. Uh, I didn't realize it was even out. It came out last month, apparently. Uh, the guy at the comic shop the other night told me that it was out. So I went home and I bought the digital one because all my others are digital. And I cannot wait to dig in on it because Saga is one of the best comics that I've ever read. Uh, it's one of the few that even when I'm not in one of those comics reading moods, that every time a trade has come out, I've bought it and read it. And a lot of times I'll read it in one sitting. Uh, well, one lying, I guess. I'm lying in bed. Usually my wife's asleep and I'm reading it on the Kindle. But it's, it's really good. And they're taking a year's hiatus from this point on until they they started again so this is a great time for you to catch up um i think every arc every trade is six issues i think is what the guy in the comic shop told me so there are 54 issues of the comic and uh so there are nine uh trades now uh you really really need to pick it up um it is absolutely adult content um there is um Consider it a an HBO or Netflix show, uh, probably more HBO show uh, in comic book form. So uh, Game of Thrones, Westworld, that kind of thing um, in comic book form. So if that level of content works for you, absolutely pick up Saga because it's kind of a space fantasy, uh, different races, uh, magic and that kind of stuff, but interplanetary travel. Uh, it's, it's great. And like I said, it's one of the best ones that I've read in a very, very long time, maybe ever. Ever. It's up there with um, uh, Rising Stars by John Michael, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, and it is just something that I think everybody who is even remotely interested in the genre uh, of you know science fantasy or just comic books in general will get something out of because again it's character based and it you know it the story is based on the obviously the circumstances within the universe but it's something that I think that uh, is more about the characters and their relationships and I mean that's just good writing so. Yeah, go read it. I'm going to. Um, but yeah, that is what I've been doing this week, y'all. I will be back next week, um, and hopefully I will not have family driving down and forget what day it is again. So I hope you guys have a fantastic week, and I will see you next time, geeks. Uh, so I guess I owe you some signing off sounds, too. So, bah! Boo, Halloween, boo, boo, boo. Okay, I'm back. Hopefully from a break.
where BJ talked about some stuff? I don't know. We'll find out together. Um, <laughs> I have a bunch of geekery, but because I've been talking for a while, I'm not going to go super deep. I did want to mention that I finished uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. There were still no credits, but I finished the entire cult storyline, which was like the last major thing that I had to do. I have to say, this Assassin's Creed game has some of the best meta storytelling. Like It's tied into the lore before it and the stuff that happens outside of the Animus. It has some of the best of it that I've ever seen in the series like it's great i wish it wasn't so buried like deep in the game the way that it is because most people will never see this um when i finished the cult storyline and i talked about it a little bit on twitter and people are just like what are you talking about like does this stuff even exist in the series and i forget that most people haven't ever beaten an assassin's creed game and i've beaten every one of the mainline ones so because of what they do at the end of like the atlantis storyline and at the end of the cult storyline I have never been more interested in the meta story of the Assassin's Creed series than I am right now. And I honestly like can't believe it, especially after what I said the other week, like I thought I was almost done with it. So I beat all of the Odyssey quests, Odyssey quests being like the main storylines in the game. Um, the cult was the last one. And after I did that, I immediately bought the season pass. Like I bought it. I need to know what happens next with this story because I'm so interested in the meta story that they're telling that's buried so deep in the game. Again, I don't think most people are going to care because most people don't actually finish Assassin's Creed games or have never finished one before, but I care because I have. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, because it's been on my geekery for a couple weeks and I keep running out of time to say it, so we might as well do it this week when we're having a mini episode. Um, I played The Messenger on Switch, which is, it's like an 8-bit style platformer. It's, it's a ninja game. It's kind of in the vein of like Ninja Gaiden type of thing, but a little bit more modern than that and not so punishing. I like the 8-bit style platformer part of it. The thing is, later it turns into a 16-bit style platformer, and I still like that. It was really cool to see this change. But then after that, it turns into an 18, or it's, sorry, 16-bit style Metroidvania. And that's where it lost me. Like, it takes a long time getting to that point. I was probably like five hours into the game, maybe six. But I got to the point where it switched to 16-bit, and that was interesting. But once I got to the point where the Metroidvania kicked in, I just stopped because it does not give you like clear direction on where you should go next. And I like platformers a lot more than I like Metroidvania games. Um, it's a tough game. I died a lot. I wish there were save points that were a little bit less punishing in this game. But overall, I really liked the first half that I played. Like it set the expectation that this was just going to be a hard platformer game. And I was having so much fun just like throwing myself against it again and again, even though I kept dying and I had to try a lot of times. It was challenging, but it was rewarding when I beat things in that platforming game. Once it switched over to that Metroidvania, like I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I didn't want to just explore randomly in the open world. I wanted it to tell me where to go next and give me the next interesting platformer challenge because that's what the first six hours kind of set me up to expect. So... If you like platformers, maybe take a look. If you like Metroidvanias, maybe take a look. But if you like both of those things, definitely take a look at this game. Um, I think it might be out on more systems, but I know it's definitely out on Switch. So again, it's called The Messenger, if you haven't heard of it. It's kind of an indie game. It's definitely a smaller team. But either way, I, I liked what I saw until it hit the Metroidvania part. Okay, that's probably it for this week. Uh, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast or send us questions on either of those. Those are great places to reach out. Um, we also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. Don't forget the rest of the podcast network. You can see all the shows and everything at geek2geekcast.com. Um, I blog at agreenmushroom.com. You can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. Hopefully next week. 
BJ will be back. I think so. We just had a random scheduling thing come up because life happens. Um, but I've been Void, and hopefully I was able to edit in some of BJ with your Geek to You podcast this week. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. everyone i'm katie and i'm chelsea and we are the hosts of tea time with katie and chelsea we are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want katie yes stop thinking about zach efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about well we've talked about zach efron no get it together katie fine we've talked about fan fiction classical literature adaptations favorite tv couples and so much more so grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek.